0: it's left look it's uh sunday may 7th it's me julian here with my best friends jacob uh
1: hello brother julian
0: hello and dj hi and uh yeah we have a new intro i'm just going to read it real quick it's left look the premier independent podcast from the Gatto institute will we'll be taking like a canadian and international arts culture and entertainment to provide you with an unbiased left wing perspective Voici l'independent podcast Independent par excellence du Institut Gâteau où nous examinerons les arts, la culture et le divertissement canadien et international pour vous offrir une perspective impartiale et de gauche.
1: Yeah, I bet you that's still incorrect, but the new new Percheron just stuck out like such a sore thumb to me that we thank yeah. chat G- GPT for solving that little crisis for me
2: solving took an axe to it more like yeah
0: it does does flow a little nicer
2: i guess (laughs) i'm never gonna hear you say new new pecheron ever again you could just
1: re-listen old episodes that are recorded for
2: forever i'd rather have my toenails ripped out
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'll uh i'll save the old one here right beside it so maybe i'll i can mix it up in the future
2: maybe just keep a keep our french listeners on their toes like a sports team that puts on its old retro jersey (laughs) someday we'll do that
0: yeah
1: uh welcome to left look this week uh we are doing yet again another movie review and uh this week we decided to do on the recommendation of our very own dj okay uh a movie by studio ghibli why don't you uh talk for a bit dj you are uh Uh, the most keyed in to this kind of oh uh, geez oh gosh Uh,
0: is it ghibli in my head it it was always ghibli
2: i've always heard it pronounced as ghibli but i don't know i've heard both i don't think either is right or wrong (laughs) i think they're both silly okay but uh yeah one of one of miyazaki's classics from 92 uh porco rosso uh or literally, the Crimson Pig in Japson, Japsonese. Japanese. <laughs> uh, in Italian, for the actually. yeah, ma, Mamma Mia. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure in uh, most languages, uh, they just translated it to the Crimson Pig. But but for English, they left it in Italian. Yeah, we had to. We had to be all cool about it because that's what we do. Yeah, mm. I uh, I have that-
1: I have the uh, what's it called? The little blurb from uh. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 95 mm. from the critics and, and an 87 from the audience on Rotten Tomatoes, and I thought the blurb was pretty good, so I'm just going to do it very quickly. Sure. In this entrancing tale by renowned Japanese animator Hiao Miyazaki, World War One flying ace Marco Peugeot mysteriously turns from a man into a pig after all his comrades die in battle. Now known as Porco Rosso, the pilot continues fighting air pirates while on the ground flirting with a gorgeous club singer. After an attack by a brash American pilot, Porco meets confident Fio, who repairs his plane with her girl mechanics and sees him for who he truly is.
2: Yeah, that's a pretty apt synopsis. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. I just noticed, and this kind of ties into what I was about to ask, uh, did, did you two watch the... Um... Which version did you watch? The sub or the dub? Dubs for me. Hmm. Uh,
0: this is a little awkward. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Go on, Julian. I haven't seen the movie yet. Ah, uh, okay. But when I do, it'll be dubs, probably. I it'll be
1: dubs, probably. I have uh...
0: voice actors here I'd like to listen to.
1: I watched uh, I watched it with the subs on the English translated subs from uh, the Japanese but I, uh, I I listened to it with dubs because Julian's right the star-studded cast they got for the dubs is just incredible they got Michael Keaton playing porco Rosso uh, mm-hmm. the uh, the American pilot is played by the uh, the princess bride star who, whose name oh, is well, on and uh, the uh, the main pirate guy is played by the brother from Everybody Loves Raymond. The really deep-voiced yeah. one.
2: <laughs> yeah. He definitely, of the ensemble, definitely the best voice. Whenever that guy talked, I just wanted everyone to shut up. Mm-hmm. I just wish I had a... such a bass voice, so rich. And so gravelly, too. Yeah. Just, like, full of uh, authority. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, uh, I I mentioned that. I didn't. I didn't love Keaton's performance, to be honest. But that's neither here nor there. Right. Uh, you, you, while you're reading that synopsis, I I totally didn't know that in the American version, in the English version, in the dubbed version that we watch, uh, they actually changed his name to Marco Rossellini. Yeah. And yeah, in <laughs> I, the in the original, he's got a totally different uh, surname. I, I did know that. I uh, I don't know why they changed it so many times. I I just. I guess to go with the title better yeah, maybe simplicity
0: Italian
1: yeah I think they just think very little of the American audience and they couldn't handle the the name change from Pajot to rosso
2: I mean, yeah i uh and that that'll probably be I don't know how long we're gonna talk about this if this will fill a whole episode great if it doesn't oops, but i I have to wonder watching the dub there there was a lot of times where I um. You know, I caught myself thinking, "Oh, is this, is this actually what they said, or like, did they butcher this to make it more American?" Like I said, I watched it dubs and subs at the same time, mm. and you could tell
1: that there was a lot of uh, adaptations just to make it seem like it was flowing better with the uh, mm. the movement of the mouths, and uh, yeah. uh, But I saw no real story deviations and uh mm. there is a major story deviation complaint at the uh online about the ending apparently the bet between the uh the love interest and Porco Rosso is not mentioned at the end and that's pretty key, oh. right but i yeah. uh i went back and i I looked for it and they do mention it in the dub so uh I, I, I saw no real problems with it. Yeah. Watching dubs and subs at the same time, though, is a very particular experience. I felt like I was being sung at from another language, <laughs> and I could just understand it. You know what I mean? Because I, I got yeah. both of the interpretations at once, and they kind of just meshed into my head, right, of what they were trying to say.
2: Yeah, it's definitely—I uh, uh, I, experienced that a lot, because typically our— uh, TVs are tuned to have like CC on because mm-hmm. my dad's hearing is kind of going, so it's just become something I live with pretty often. That uh, what did I just watch the other day? Um, uh, d- just a casual movie drop while we're trying to review a different movie. <laughs> yeah, but uh, watched everything everywhere all at once. Oh, or... I tried to watch that. I found it
1: disappointing.
2: Yeah. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. I I bet you were looking for like a serious film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's definitely the problem.
1: I uh, uh, I read these great reviews about how the uh Lee Kwanee, or whatever his na- name is. It was like mm-hmm. this uh, alternative form of masculinity that they were trying to promote, and I could kind of see that. But the disjointedness mm-hmm. of the whole movie just
2: made it unenjoyable for me. Yeah, yeah. If you're looking for a cohesive narrative, I I, I definitely think it ties everything beautifully together at the end, but if you, I definitely found the first half hard to get my head around. Yeah. When it just changes setting with no explanation,
1: all of a sudden mm-hmm. that was oh. quite harsh on me. Yeah. Um, one of those.
0: Yeah. Non-linear narratives. Uh,
2: it, uh, it becomes linear. Eventually it returns to linearity. Yeah. Oh. Um,
1: we should return to Porco Rosso though. I, I uh, we should, we should. Speaking of, uh, I uh I wanted to talk about Studio Ghibli a little more before we got into it sure. cuz they have like a cultural place in my mind that uh mm-hmm. is hard to define. I uh I think I uh I said last time that Studio uh the last time that we spoke off air that Studio Ghibli was uh had a huge internet fandom and that we could tap into that. But I was talking mm-hmm. to my little brother this morning and he uh, clarified it demographically even further for me. He said, I've never dated a girl who hasn't told me that Studio Ghibli wasn't a big part of their childhood. And I was like, Really? Yeah, white girls, uh, white nerd girls, love the Studio Ghibli. And I don't yeah. know what that's about, but uh, I just wanted to say that that is their audience that they have reached in North America, Mm -hmm. but that this movie is definitely not directed to them. And that, uh, Miyazaki is quoted as saying, uh, that it is for, was made to be for 30 to 45 year old businessmen who had tofu brain from overworking all the time. (laughs) And so I just was interested just on that, that that's, it's taken such a weird cultural place in our minds, even though Miyazaki, the artist, didn't intend it for that at all. And I'm going to spend a lot of time in my wow. critiques looking at Miyazaki's intent. Cause
0: yeah, I think it, uh, North American girls today are also tofu brain, though, so that might be something to do with it.
1: Yeah, let's go with sexism. That's good for the <laughs> podcast. Uh, I,
2: yeah, no, on that, soy. I think you <laughs> Yeah, the soy with the soy boys. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'd be hard pressed not to find uh, any individual with without tofu brain these days. True. Hmm. It's just you know just turns into tofu after a while. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's it's interesting you bring that up because uh, a a lot of the people I, I mean I hadn't thought about it really before you made your brother's point, but a lot of the people I know who are overtly ghibli fans would yeah who would who would self-profess as ghibli fans are you know white women yep which i I don't know when i think about it even more i know i have a lot of friends who would be like yeah i like studio ghibli but i don't know if they'd be like the kind of people who i don't know actively want to go to the studio ghibli park or the what they have a they have like a It's like a village. It's not like an amusement park, Uh, but it's like a, it's like a museum, but it's like you live in it. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. It's, I've, I've heard it's really cool if you're a big fan, but uh, yeah, I digress. Mm.
1: I, I, I I can see right away, uh, why, where it comes from. It has Mm -hmm. the animation style. I'm completely out of my depth talking about, of course, but I found it had this like childlike wonder, uh, of encapsulating its world it was fantastic and like beautiful at the same time but also it tended to shy away
2: from anything that it found too crazy i mean like yeah yeah there's um uh, and you'll find that across pretty much every studio ghibli movie is there's there's a focus on the I, i don't know almost the bucolic Aspects of everyday life, of uh, and I don't know. Some it depends on the film, right? Like Princess Mononoke is there, there's uh, there's a lot of blood. There's a <laughs> lot of blood in that film. Or uh you know, there's others where the theme, you know, if the theme is a little more harsh, then yeah, the film's going to be harsh. But definitely with their softer, more everyday things, you know, things soften up. And I think even with Porco Rosso here, it's. It's meant to be kind of like, you know, the war is present, you know, it's it takes place it at looms a time large. Between, yeah. yeah, it it takes place between the first and second world wars, so both wars are pretty big aspects. Yeah,
1: it uh it's the only movie that Miyazaki's ever done where the time uh, and place is discernible at all and it, mm-hmm. it is 1930s uh, Italy, right? And yeah, the surrounding area around Italy. Like uh, it's implied that uh, where Porco Rosso hangs out is an island in the Adriatic. So like Croatia Mm -hmm. somewhere. In fact, Mm -hmm. he was going to specify it was uh, Dubrovnik, I think uh, Croatia, but that Mm -hmm. um, the Yugoslav Wars broke out around that time. And he was so disgusted (laughs) that he just left it out.
2: Yeah. Um, It um, go ahead. Sorry. There's a lot of, I was just going to bring up that, that a lot of, uh, natives from the area you know people living in the mediterranean often watch this film and go like what do you mean this is italy what this looks nothing like italy yeah
1: i thought that i thought that a couple times too but then he did milan and i was Mm -hmm. i was immediately uh against what i'd been feeling because the island chain does feel very sorry anytime he's flying around it does feel very fake mediterranean like Mm -hmm. uh an asian pacific idea of what the mediterranean might look like it kind of feels like a medieval artist drawing a lion because they'd never seen yeah. a lion before, right? But, For sure. But it was still beautiful. But then they did Milan, the this large sequence where Porco Rosso has to go to Milan to get his uh, plane fixed, and he meets up with the uh, his sidekick character and mm-hmm. tri- love triangle interest, kind of a weird uh, dynamic. But uh, a little bit. The. Uh, the way in which they painted the uh, the buildings is these like classical architecture, like these uh, great um, what's the word arches and these strong pyramidal st- structures on uh, columns, and then mm-hmm. in between them they had these large smokestacks sticking out. I was like, that is such a great representation of what 1930s italy was like right like this Mm -hmm. this moment in time where this like pastoral countryside you said bucolic earlier that's a that's a great word uh this peasant kind of lifestyle meeting the new world right meeting the the age of technology kind of thing yeah It, it was so beautiful but
2: yeah especially at a time when northern italy was just just pumping out factories mm-hmm. just going nuts and southern italy fell really behind um which i don't know in my opinion maybe if you're making like a obviously the film wasn't but if they were making like a like hey look italy was kind of weird at that time that would have been something interesting to show we'll get but to their uh... po-
1: their political critique which i found was the weakest part of the movie i found it was mm. uh, it was beautiful and introspective and uh engaging entrancing was a nice word I thought rotten tomatoes used. Mm-hmm. but uh, at the same time, I found it, you know, kind of a vapid and flat kind of critique of anything that it was trying to get at. but I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna get to that later. Uh, I wanted to talk about the planes because uh, they're in the same vein as the uh, as the lion thing because as opposed right. to the the image of Italy, which is kind of just imagined and not very uh, great, right, the mm-hmm. the planes they put extra extra care into, right? Bo- mm. uh, both the plane that Porco Rosso uh, flies and the American pilot, his antagonist flies,
2: right. were
1: both real planes from the time, and uh, they both were winners of the Schneider Trophy or the Schneider Cup. Mm. And uh, Yeah, the one they mentioned in the film? Yeah, they mentioned it a bunch of times. Um, and you, you should know the Schneider Trophy if you're a historical buff at all, because it's Uh, Basically, where all the planes that flew as fighter planes in World War II were developed. The uh, the Messerschmitt, the Spitfire, they all flew in the, uh, some kind of uh, prototype flew in the Schneider Cup. And it's basically just this, I don't know, slalom course kind of thing. You know, you try and fly as fast as you can between two points.
2: Right, like uh, like the Red Bull Cup is today,
1: kind of, kind of, but uh, that's more focused on pilot endurance. Whereas this was like mm-hmm. specifically like who can create the best plane, um, right? Uh, and also, uh, what's his face? The Doolittle Raid, the uh, the guy who bombed Tokyo uh, first with the, right. uh, his little bomber planes had to crash land in China after he uh, he flew in the Schneider Cup. So there is this. You know, historical confluence with Japan—that this uh, this event had and how it tied uh, Japan to Europe at that time. You know what I mean? So mm. the extra care given to it, I thought, was very interesting.
2: Yeah, it's uh, th- there's kind of a line you can draw between those two points, uh, where you know, I think um, technically, in a technical sense, yeah, they they do pay a lot of attention to. The mechanical details of, of the planes especially given the historical context but um i think even still and on both accounts there's this there's this air of trying to create something that's like you know oh they wanted something italy like they want these planes like this you know where uh, I don't know, I guess in an environment when I was watching it, I didn't I was like, why are they all seaplanes? Like, aren't these aren't these supposed to be fighters? Like, yep. seaplanes and fighters in just hanging out? Why are they all seaplanes and fighters? But yeah, it goes with the setting. It, they all really need to be seaplanes to fit the the motif.
1: Yeah, it is. But um it was a great job of uh, marrying the history to this fantastic reality they had created right like there was no such thing as air air pirates ever right that never happened exactly but the yeah. the way in which they infused that time period into this you know narrative was mm-hmm. was really well done yeah
2: and along with that the way they portray this environment you know these weird island chains that you don't really associate with italy this airy texture that might look more akin to something from greece that's it it evokes enough of the sensation of like okay we're in the mediterranean that you can kind of remove yourself and go okay well you know it's a movie Uh, the guy's a pig you know okay like sure i'm removed enough that i can enjoy the story without being like oh mm, that plane's wings aren't long enough for the you know the time period Mm -hmm. um
1: there, there was a, a quote, another quote online that uh, about Miyazaki's uh, talking about the film, and uh, it said that it was uh, it really lined up with this Japanese history of uh, I don't remember the term, but it, it means like focus on what the Western people are doing and this like obsession with Europe and what they're doing, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought that was really good, but it uh it made me think and i've been thinking it uh since the beginning that the whole art style the whole vision for the film reminded me of a, a lecture that a professor of mine had once given about this guy named Cezanne. And Cezanne is this artist who was not really famous at the time of his mm-hmm. painting, but became famous in the history of painting because he's this bridge between like romanticism and impressionism, right? At the, mm-hmm. at the end of the 19th century. And I, I remember thinking uh, a bunches of times that this movie is... Uh, this man's vision of what uh, fascism and uh, fascism in Italy was like, right? This, uh, his, how he sees the world is directly transposed onto the, uh, the page. Right. And yeah, I thought it when uh, a bunch of times, but especially when the, the pig goes all middle-aged manner pigs, he says
0: mm-hmm.
1: that. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then also the art style between the pirates. If you compare the pirates and the pig, they look mm-hmm. very similar, right? Like the the men are just disgusting trolls that you just want to, I don't know, execute basically, right? Like they're, they're worthless life forms almost in everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the pig, the only difference really is that their mustache is bushier and the Porco's is clean and that mm-hmm. their nose looks like a human nose and Porco has a pig nose, right? Like... That there is actually pretty much no difference between those two. And then the portrayal of women also, right? That the they were just... The, every woman in the film uh, that wasn't an old lady or a child was supposed to be mm-hmm. this stunning, beautiful creature that you would fight for blood and land over kind of thing, right? So mm-hmm. there was this, I don't know, um, like a granting of the point to fascism, to nationalism, that uh, that is how life is, that there... Uh, all men are disgusting and evil and that all, all women are worth fighting uh, and doing that kind of disgusting evil acts over, uh, I don't know. I just remember thinking over and over again, this Miyazaki guy's trying to tell me something, and I don't think I'm culturally <laughs> attuned enough to understand what he's trying to tell me.
0: I think he's you trying know? to tell you womanizing is okay.
2: I don't think that was it. <laughs> I, uh, cause the, I'm pretty sure that, that is the exact opposite yeah, uh, if anything of what the film was trying to say. Porco Rosso
1: uh, he gets this little woman engineer uh, to help him out when he's in Milan, right? And She's yeah. 17 mm-hmm. and they make a bunch of jokes about the grandpa saying don't touch my 17 year old granddaughter basically, right? And mm-hmm. the Porco Rosso keeps joking about how hot she is too but uh, very creepy, but you know it's a Japanese film, uh, but I- in the end, he never treats her as anything other than like a fatherly figure. And at the end of the film, he ends up with his like long lost love. That uh, mm-hmm. so I don't know what it, what the the point is there. I think, um, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but I don't think we're gonna be able to drag this out much longer. So that maybe um the critique of the film is that the only way out of just a fascist existence is this reliance on individualism, right? This Mm -hmm. become your own person, be true to yourself kind of thing, right? And that most of the time, the way that that develops is that you become a a pig, right? A a self-interested, disgusting person Mm -hmm. but that there is a better way and that you can just be self-interested in the ways that are honorable basically honor was said a a lot of times in the movie too right so yeah that's there was
2: yeah there was this this idea that the honor of uh fighting for what's important Mm -hmm. supersedes self-interest to the point Mm -hmm. you know like like i i i I think especially towards the end when the american pilot is they literally have a fist fight over my self-interest versus okay no something that has superseded Mm -hmm. my self-interest i'm no longer fighting for myself Mm -hmm. but all of this other stuff yeah for the girl that i don't want to just use and then also Mm
1: -hmm. uh to also help her family pay off these incredible debts that she has, that everyone is dealing with under this society. And that's, yeah. that's another thing that happens. So that's where I'm trying to get with this, that the the critique of fascism kind of falls flat and is vapid mm. or fatuous or whatever you want to call it. It only shows the two sides uh, that, you know, Japanese polite society accepts this, the liberal mm. and the fascist, And that their only way out is to be a certain kind of liberal while admitting that almost all of liberalism leads directly to fascism. And that Mm -hmm. is, even in its worst examples, sometimes worse than fascism, right? And so I think to not even try to engage with some kind of socialist understanding or some kind of really revolutionary understanding, engagement with the fascism of the 1930s is just a disservice to the world and an exposure of his own worldview i mean his own very limited worldview
2: a little bit i can definitely understand where you're coming from because the film doesn't try to wrestle with it but i don't think it wants to is the thing but why doesn't it want to i i don't know it wants to be a love story it's wants to be a wholesome flick and you know probably they're probably concerned with like uh box office numbers it's it's 1992 we actually have to care about if people are going to go out of their house to see this film i don't i don't know if he did care about that it's it was supposed to start as a half
1: hour film for uh just for plane rides uh between mm-hmm. the islands and he stretched it for out this, yeah and it, <laughs> It was, he stretched out in this hour and a half masterpiece that he just like poured his whole soul into right and so this is everything he thinks about that time period in my opinion this is all there is right and maybe italy in the 1930s was one of the the great centers of well you know 1920s, more like, but uh, mm. one of the great centers of social revolutionary thought, right? Antonio Gramsci was writing at the time and was imprisoned mm. by Mussolini around that time, and he is like up there with Marx and uh, uh, Lenin and Trotsky and you know mm. all the greatest thinkers. Uh, he he is the one who contributes hegemony to the discussion of uh, capitalist thought and how it, uh, the hegemony of uh, experience can lead to words always changing in favor of the capitalist dialect. Now that's a terrible explanation of Gramsci, but that'll do. Mm-hmm. but any but no explanation of you know or investigation into that kind of path of resistance I don't know it, it's very disappointing but the the love story was beautiful all the same. I did find myself touched by it right in the end the he stops being a pig or it's implied heavily that he stops being a pig because he uh Uh uh, he you know learns to love things other than uh himself and that allows him to love more truthfully maybe that is a socialist message
2: i don't know maybe and (laughs) and, i mean yeah i I think you know perhaps me selling the film to the two of you by saying like hey haha it 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 talks about fascism for a minute it's very <laughs> anti-fascist Maybe,
1: don't get me wrong yeah the way it portrays these the like black shirts these secret police people as these like mm-hmm. scummy barbaric people the way it uh shows the this captain friend of his major sorry he's a major and how uh he has to uh always lie to the government to let his friend porco rosso continue to live a, a life mm-hmm. as basically a, a atlas shrugged or whatever like it, as uh What's her face is um, I'm gonna forget as an Ayn Randian type hero, Mm -hmm. but I don't know at the same time. And it like it showed the Milan like I talked about how it was being you know turned into an industrial wasteland and how everyone Mm -hmm. was impoverished because of this rapid change in Italy. Every everything about fascism is. Shown to be a negative light, right? And the there's nationalism with this these triumphal flags going around, mm-hmm. like the corruption in the banks. The at one point Porco Rosso is trying to pull out money, and uh, the bank asks him to buy bonds so that he can support the government or something like that. Mm-hmm. Every time that fascism is mentioned, Miyazaki takes the opportunity to dab on it. So, yeah, I do yeah, want to the... give credence to your selling of the movie.
2: Sorry the the there's just you know just on that point there's a lot of there's a lot of little moments and i think that's maybe why it is disappointing is there isn't there isn't that that final you know that knockout punch Mm -hmm. there's just all of these little you know jabs at like oh war bad people suffering fascism bad and there's just all of these i don't know little like I don't want to say slice of life, but that that is really what it is. You get this, like, little section of the side characters interpretation of this thing. Like, boop, you know, the, the weapon maker, the weapon maker's assistant, the pirates, the the major, Theo, her grandfather, all the women in the village. You know, you see all these little examples of how this fascist uprising is kind of making their life shitty, but... Yeah. They're still just trucking along, still, because that's all they really can do at the time. True, yeah. and
0: that's that's probably why there's no like socialist uh, critique. To like, as you were kind of saying there, like in that situation, in that society, the fascism becomes totalizing, and you you can't see beyond it.
1: See, where I was going to go with it is that the fascism of Japan is still so totalizing that he is. <laughs> unable to recognize that there is another way that the hegemony in Japan is so
2: complete. Yeah. I, I heard on that note, I heard that I don't even really know how to word this kind of like a secret agenda, right. Of this film when it came out was to almost, almost mirror Japan, at the time interesting like at like in 92 was to show like hey this happened it's kind of happening again oh y'all should stop yeah. being idiots like, like you're the pig people you are the people who are worse than Porcaroso. Mm-hmm. you are what he calls the pigs and you are just letting you know our our right-leaning conservative government take over our country again
0: yeah we're between wars once again
2: the yeah, the economic
1: stagnation of the of Japan in the nineties is mm-hmm. a very good um, correlation to uh, Italian and uh, sorry Italy during the twenties and thirties, but I don't know I don't I guess I just don't see it because I know how it worked out for Japan and they've just been okay for yeah. thirty years. But you know, if anything, I mean they'll only start okay. They maintained liberalism is what I, yeah. I mean by that, at the very least, right? Uh-huh. If anything, the slip to authoritarianism will only happen in the next 10 years or so. Like... I don't
0: know, man. So, maybe, maybe, maybe it maybe. to drag out forever.
2: I think if it continues to drag out forever, their unemployed population is going to get fed up and, <laughs> I don't know, it started, I don't know, to bring back the daimyo system at this yeah. rate.
0: <laughs> bring the emperor back.
2: I saw a great
1: uh, study, uh, not a study. It was just the ha- headline of an article, really. And this Yale professor who was of Japanese descent uh, said mm-hmm. that all to solve ja- Japan's economic crisis, all of the Japanese elderly need to commit ritual suicide at once. Oh, <laughs> that they know, don't have the pe- awesome. That's uh quite the terrible take. But you know they are facing <laughs> a a crisis of uh, uh-huh. I don't know, um.
2: Existential proportions. uh, It's very... Wonky. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a very niche issue that... Uh, it's like, how do I want to say this, it's happening before a lot of other countries have to deal with it. Exactly. And, <laughs> and it's not like, hey, what does Japan do about the problem? Because we really got to figure this out in the next 10 years. Like, they were just 10 years ahead of us. Not
1: only is Japan dealing with it at ahead of time, but they seem to be dealing with it well and in a way that is not replicable, right? Like, they've outsourced all their production around the world. There's a Toyota mm-hmm. plant near us, right? <laughs> um
0: yeah we got that volkswagen plan too that's interesting news
1: yeah the germans are going to try and do the same thing but it is not going to work um anyways the uh the germans love their manufacturing class they think it's the best but anyways uh the the japanese they uh, i lost where i was going to be honest
2: Outsourcing—they fixed the problem, oh, right?
1: So, as everyone else in the world, lots of first-world countries at least face a similar problem: as they have too many old people and not enough young people to take care of them and uh, keep a, a thriving economy going at the same time. That what how Japan has staved off like actual disaster—you know, millions dead and suffering—is uh, mm-hmm. just not going to be replicable. And so, they're not a great example. You know what I mean, it's all I was trying to get at.
2: Oh, yeah, no. Sorry, I didn't mean to say they were a good example. I'm just saying it's happening first. <laughs> no. But um, to touch on Julian bringing up the Emperor, uh. it is... And to you know go back into the politics of Porco Rosso, it, it's interesting. I'll use a very blank word like that. It's interesting that when they talk of the fascists in the film, and any opposition to them the only opposition ever mentioned is the royalists <laughs> and yes. i think it's only brought up like twice
1: it felt like a monarchist kind of film didn't it mm. the, this appeal to tradition and the the liberal sentiment that's supposed to underlie it you know what i mean it yeah it, that is where it felt so vapid and you know flat you know if you're going to appeal to a monarchist position at least have the good grace to put some socialism in it like
2: yeah or you know show the italian king at the time or whatever the deposed whatever but uh, yeah i mean i get what you mean cuz it doesn't really it doesn't really take a stance right it's just like yeah. Oh, the monarchists are opposing them. The royalists are opposing the fascists. See, now cool. I'm now I'm
1: worried about my history
2: because I'm I think Victor Emmanuel II was
1: king of Italy at the time, and I'm yeah. not sure if Mussolini ever deposed him. I don't I, think he did. I don't think he did either, and that he was put in charge uh, after a coup that mm-hmm. the the Italians did, and that Hitler put Mussolini back in charge after uh after that and then he just kind of never got power again after the americans hmm. rolled through
2: yeah i'm not certain on that point but uh that yeah it's a it's a weird time in history mm-hmm. but um i i think at the same time right as being a little blank as lacking a little something i i i kind of think it serves as a good just like a blank canvas to for porco's own ideology to kind of shine through yeah it
1: is a it's a heartwarming message i mean like porco's journey is is his hero's journey awakening whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. where where he just uh rediscovers what it is just to be like a good man who's trying his best kind of thing right
2: yeah i'd say (laughs) i'd say even just learning what it is to be human He's Mm. like, he he spends, you know, he spends a good part of the film being a pig. He's not a human. Mm. He literally is a different animal because he's just forgotten or perhaps (laughs) not forgotten, but forced a, an outward persona of this detached, unhuman. That's how I picked uh, it up that
1: he had adapted this character as a, a trauma response, basically. I had, seen sure. on, I had seen online too that the, uh, the, the, sorry, the subbed version made it uh, mm-hmm. clear and specific that the, uh, his buddy who died in combat with him, who was mm-hmm. married to the, the love interest Gina, I think her name was, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. that originally, uh, Gina was supposed to marry uh, Porco Rosso but that ah. she was not an Italian and so as an officer in the uh, in the air force he couldn't bring himself to marry a non-Italian during the during the war and then uh. his his uh, subordinate marries her and it kind of I don't know where I was trying to get at with that but I don't know I thought it was an interesting point to bring up
2: that is yeah that is a weird definitely one of the things that was ripped out of the dub <laughs> probably to make it a little more tasteful. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, there uh, I had something more insightful to say about that, but I've forgotten.
0: I had something to um, say. Go ahead. Yeah. What if this movie took place in the same universe as Animal Farm?
1: Uh the message is obviously ripped from Animal, animal Farm, <laughs> right? That uh, the, pigs are, uh, the pigs are the pigs are the the humans like Yeah. It, it is totally ripped from that that uh, even if you uh manage to ascend you're just a pig right at the mm-hmm. end you're just uh you're just a man that's disgusting and evil like the pirates right like even into the animation style he's not relying directly on that you know the socialists become the capitalist thing but that imagery is there you know what I mean yeah. at least
0: what other movies have animated pigs in them that are people
2: a lot of Warner uh, Brothers that's... movies. Um, bearded away also leans into the pig motif pretty heavily but uh oh another studio ghibli movie yeah they've got the uh, pigs have a much more uh <laughs> prevalent like imagery in uh eastern asia from what i know i thought they were lucky in china that's all i've got um if, if it's the year of the pig maybe
1: i think we were all born in the year of the pig
2: um I maybe that's... i can never remember me neither Dog, rat, pig—it's all the same. Anything else? Anything else about Porco Rosso?
1: Um, I'm not sure. I don't think so.
2: I had one more thing, and this is to maybe not a counter to your oh, I did have one more critique after. Oh no, go for it then. Go Uh, for
1: it. No, after you. We have to
2: finish on it. Okay, sure. Um. Yeah, and, you know, maybe a counter, maybe not. But there is, there is one thing I heard, and there's a scene that's very short. Um, and I'll start with the scene, right? There's a scene, it's a very short scene, but you see Porco walking through Milan. I think it's right before he gets chased by the secret police in the truck. He's walking down the street, and you can see in the background, there's all of these beautifully illustrated old posters that have been ripped up and torn up and have faded with time and if you actually stop to look at that like it's less than a second of a scene those are actually old socialist propaganda posters Uh right from the from the big movement in the 20s and it's, I don't know, it's this really haunting scene of, like, the dilapidated past that Porco has lived through, and Porco is here in the foreground, kind of, like, nonchalantly ignoring it, or, like, he's definitely not paying attention to it, but here he is in this trench coat, in this hat, and he's a pig now, and he's hiding from the fascists in a big city where the fascists all live, the secret police, is all over the place, Uh and it's just, I don't know, it's really crazy imagery to, is the film being neoliberal? Is it being like, yeah, no, it was doomed to happen, and now look look at where Porco is. Look at what's happened to him.
0: Yeah, even if it wasn't, uh, like, destined to happen, it is what happened. And now, that's, yeah. that's the present you have to live with. That's interesting.
2: I, uh... Yeah, because because the fascists weren't dealt with, like... Yeah. Hey, when we put the socialism was torn apart.
1: <laughs> it's interesting. It's a good take. Um, I asked Chat GPT to uh do a, a Marxist review or uh, oh. of uh, Porco Rosso.
2: Is this is this the end bit?
1: Yes, this is the end bit. Okay,
2: okay. Let, let me let me have one more thing. Okay, go ahead. It was a two part thing. Sorry, the other one is more of a question. And this one I heard in a video critique a while back. Is is Porco, is he a populist? Individualist. <laughs> no, no, a populist. I know he's not, is my answer. Okay, well, there you go. Why?
1: Because what does he do for the population? Like, he never appeals to any kind of population. He just is himself, and then the population uh the pirates in particular follow him at the end because they value his i don't know his strength or his will or something like that
2: you think yes
0: yeah he doesn't strike me as a political actor so i i don't know how he could really i
2: i don't i don't really think in a political sense i think just kind of in an ideological sense He is, you know, he he frequents this bar where everyone is like, hey, it's Porco. Hey, it's our good buddy. Uh, Even though he's a known criminal, he's a known bounty hunter, all of these people know he's wanted by the fascists and none of them want to turn him in. Even the pirates, who Uh, are like like kind of his enemies. Let me amend.
1: He has what I would say are revolutionary sympathies or uh, synergies with revolutionary thought as like Mm -hmm. a as an appeal to the population. He does sympathize with them a lot too, but that he has been so conditioned by like that era's uh, idea of masculinity and like duty and honor and all that shit that he, he is basically unable to engage with it meaningfully. And to such a point that he can only, uh, you know, deal with himself as his object. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe uh, to take it even further, I would, I would insinuate that that is his persona. Mm. That is that masculinity that stops him from doing it. But I think deep down, you know, there's a lot of little moments. He, he, you know, he saves all those little kids. He puts up with them. He
1: leaves he, the other pirates with half their gold. Or whatever. Yeah, he,
2: he does, you know, just extensively nice things for no real good reason. That, that whole fight with the American at the end when he could have just blasted them you know uh, but was having a fist fight with him better i don't know is but...
1: is virtuosity immediately uh, populism though or is it just i don't know the i think it's an aspect of it maybe to me it feels like uh, a hang up uh, a an evolutionary kind of uh, response that that kind of neo no that kind of old liberal uh masculinity uh, idealizes, you know what I mean? The sporting man, the mm-hmm. the fair man, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, the the, uh, the, chival- the yeah. chivalry, yeah. Before it was dead. <laughs> yeah. Anything, to add, Julian.
0: Uh no, can't wait to see it.
2: Okay. Yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Let us know alert, next week. Sorry. Yeah. I will. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Okay, so I asked ChatGPT to uh, talk, uh, give me a Marxist review of the movie, and mm-hmm. it, it does this thing, no matter how I phrase it, where it says, as a language model, I can only provide you a, a, a view from a Marxist or communist perspective, but don't have any uh, ideological uh, yeah. bent, basically. I don't have perspectives. Sure, yeah, Chat. Sure you don't. But anyways, Comrade G- uh, GPT tells me that Porco Rosso is a visually stunning film, blah, 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 blah. However, from a Marxist perspective, the film can be seen as promoting individualism and capitalism. The main character, Porco, is portrayed as an individualist hero who operates outside the law rather than a member of collective struggle. This can be seen as promoting a neoliberal ideology that values individualism and self-interest over collective action and solidarity. That does seem like more of an appeal to the 90s time, and also mm-hmm. a better statement of my critique than I gave, but I just wanted yeah. to say yeah. that I, uh, I I arrived at that position before GPT did better than me
2: at it <laughs> yeah they it said it much more concisely but I think your thoughts congeal into that same point yep. uh, yeah thank you comrade GPT for your insightful comments uh, as always
1: it'll never top uh, when we thought that GPT had demographically identified us that was that was great
2: yeah <laughs> well it's gonna get there one day
1: your article you got my article you got 12 minutes a bit or do you want me to we can
2: flounder around with this idea for 12 minutes that's for sure yeah yeah and and i'll say now that the last 10 minutes was would have been julian talking but uh laziness he'll he'll fill in 10 minutes next week yeah
0: no i am garbage and i apologize
2: Eh, you just forgot no big deal yeah it's not like we were talking about it very much um here's an article and this is like i mentioned to jacob earlier this is just kind of a springboard the article's not really important but uh to give it a plug here's an article from the journal of democracy oh. uh written by philip balboni Hey, another italian i think
1: balboni oh. definitely sounds balboni. italian
2: uh from may it's just dated may 2023 and its titles it, is erdogan on his way out erdogan yeah, and so the article is. That's why it's a springboard because it's it's more like a factual retelling of what's going on in Turkey right now. There's not really a lot to talk about. Uh-huh. I think discussing the the political landscape in the region at large would be. I don't know. That can eat up ten minutes. Right? Yeah, I. Yeah.
1: For sure, you guys go first because
2: I'm gonna. Well, yeah. Let me. Uh, let me. Let me dive into this article a little bit. Basically, it goes on about how. Uh, you know, Erdogan's party. We should
1: stop for a second. Hold on. Erdogan is the leader of Turkey right now and uh, has been for a long time.
2: Go ahead. Yes. The rather uh, continually becoming more despotic President Ruler. for life. President yeah. for life at this junction. Yeah. And there's kind of, there's like an election going to happen that he's pulled to like probably lose, but I don't think that's really going to do anything. But we'll come back to that in a minute. I think
1: he's going to be removed, but we're going to come back to that, like you said. That's
2: right. Right. Okay. Because that's, that's another thing we'll talk about. Um, but yeah, his party has been in power since like 2002. Mm hmm. Uh, so like a solid 20-year reign, and since then they've just been slowly removing the parts of the democracy that make it so that he can, his party will ever lose. And it's just, I don't know, the, the, the article makes this uh, interesting reflection to the former party, the one he usurped power from. Uh, the, Kem- the Kemalists they call them the Kemalists
1: sorry the Kemalists but...
2: the Kamalists, thank you the there really need no to it, be it is more... Kamal.
1: it's named after Mustafa Kemal Ataturk right the, yes the father yeah. of the country the secularist not Kamala Harris like <laughs> yeah, Julian was doing not, not that
2: <laughs> there need to be more uh phonetic guides in articles please and thank you <laughs> But yeah, it it reflects the the you know, the seizure of power from the former government, which had initially like, yeah, liberalism out of the twenties, the Ottomans are gone, let's retake our country. Ra rah rah. Let's let's reinvest in and, and a big thing with that party is like, let's become Western. Let's look to Europe. Let's the, have the, strong ties to Europe. The Kemalists were westernizers. That's the best yes. way to
1: describe them. Liberals little too generous yeah i mean
2: they yeah, kill people I mean, all
1: the time for journalism for sure
2: for <laughs> sure but like you know in an economic sense is more what i mean yeah sure okay. let's reform the economy to make it more like europe's mm-hmm. and so yeah there was like mm, you know some military coups went on uh nothing really changed until you know buddy shows up in 2002 and goes hey i'm popular i'm charismatic." uh the people are mad at you and i'm going to use that to overthrow your government mm. and so they do they went they win a big like sweeping election and uh flash forward right to the present mm-hmm. where turkey is really suffering there's been a lot of natural disasters the economy is in shambles they've everyone's experienced, mad at the government
1: they've experienced inflation in the hundreds of percents like yeah. it's nutty they uh they're money is just worthless compared to what it was 20 years ago and like i feel that's the way it is here and our
2: inflation has not been 100 (laughs) (laughs) i mean like not even close it it feels like it could maybe get there one day but like at the rate it's going Mm -hmm. but yeah definitely we are in a much better situation economically than turkey is Mm -hmm. but anyways right flash forward to the present here's all these bad things going on and suddenly uh, after Buddy's like trying to really safeguard his position by removing democracy in a, in a very slow method, uh, we come to this point where his opposition is essentially a big coalition of people. Mm. Like it's basically the "we don't want Erdogan in power" coalition, because <laughs> the 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 coalition is just made up with every kind of person. You know, the leftists are working with the Islamists, are working with the fascists, just to get this dude out. Yeah. And it's told that they like, you know, they might not, they might just f- flub it up because his core are just so fearful that something worse is going to happen if they don't stick with this guy. Right. And he's, um, he's already been through a coup, right? There was a coup in 2016, a, coup attempt, a military coup. Yeah. And that just, that just went nowhere. Yeah. He's
1: still in and charge.
2: He's still in charge. And it's, I don't know. I guess, I guess the point I come to is like, dang, man, is, <laughs> is an election really going to do anything? Is like, should this dude just rip off the mask and go, huh, I, I caught you. It was me. Fascist leader Erdogan the whole time. Oh, he's
1: not that strong. He will be removed. Like I said, but I'm, I, I want to open up with that. No, he won't be Napoleon. Or, are you done? Am I cutting you off too early?
2: No, no, go ahead. Uh, it's a good spot to cut in. Uh
1: the movie, sorry, the movie, I play a video game called Hearts of Iron, uh, which is a, a World War II simulator, yeah. and there's a, a a gameplay mechanic where the government is d- uh, divided into a pie chart, right? Mm-hmm. And there are three factions that are colored, blue for de- uh, democratic, orange for fascistic, and red for communist, and then mm-hmm. your your government is shown to be a slice of these pie. But there is a fourth faction in the game that is called non-aligned and it, it it's gray right mm-hmm. and it generally refers to monarchist and nationalist parties right mm-hmm. and what i want to do is describe the government of turkey since Kemal ataturk in the 1920s whenever he took over right it has been right. basically non-aligned and that the shift from uh Kamalism or Kamalists uh, policies to Erdogan's kind of policies has been imperceptible. Basically, the Islamist bent that he has taken is more like an Islamist li- uh, light mm. kind of thing, right? He's not out there enforcing uh, complete dress garb rules and things like that, or slaughtering uh, what's it called um, apostates, yeah. right? Yeah, it, it's not a, it's not the Saudis. You know what I'm saying, mm. mm-hmm. and what. We should really think of it as that as the, the mafia state, the aristocracy that runs Turkey has become more and more economically challenged over time, that there has just been a natural shift to the right, right? And so mm-hmm. he will be removed soon, but only because he's played out his game, right? He's, uh, he's played the game for a long time. He's, he's led for a long time. It'll just be someone else's turn now, mm-hmm. right? There was a, a guy in Austria who, uh, after Napoleon fell, he reorganized Europe. He got, he basically decided where all of, uh, the, uh, the governments would lie where all the borders ended up. His name was Metternich, right? Mm. And he led Europe basically from 1815 to 48, when the the year of revolutions that's called when the Austrians were almost toppled, the uh, the French uh, Republic fell in favor of mm-hmm. Napoleon. All the uh, the the Prussians almost unified under uh, unified Germany under like a liberal constitutional model. And a lot of people like to describe Metternich as having failed that year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the Austrians themselves will say, what are you talking about? He led for 33 years. Everyone fails eventually. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everyone falls out of favor yeah. eventually in, in this Kremlinology palace intrigue kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so my thoughts on Erdogan leaving power is, yes, of course he will. Right? And he will be removed in a, in a silent coup kind of thing. Right, Not, In yeah. no election will he be taken down by some kind of unholy alliance between the left and right. Like, that's fantastical. But uh, he will be replaced by some other more cynical, more barbaric, more uh, youthful paper pusher. You know, some background motherfucker that we've never mm-hmm. heard of. And things will continue as they have been in Turkey. As they become more unstabilized, they'll become, you know, more rational, more fascistic, more imperial. Mm -hmm. But it'll just be a slow slide.
2: Desperate for structure. Mm -hmm. I'm making your quotes as I say that. We could hear them. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm just, like, I know what you said. Yeah, the election's not going anywhere. But, like, I have to wonder... What are those people going to do if this election fails? Uh, They have no power. They're just going to remain passive.
1: Yes, yes. The uh, the center of government in Ankara, right? Mm. uh, Ankara is not the natural uh, lead of Turkey, right? It's in Mm. the it's in the middle, and it's not very populated. You know, Constantinople should be leading it. Sorry, leading Turkey,
2: right? I. I believe that's why they moved the capital isn't
1: it they moved it from constantinople to ankara for uh a bunch of reasons S- mm. security is one and then also turkishization or turkification because you know constantinople right. was an international city something like 27 mm-hmm. percent of greeks still lived there at the end of world war one right like sorry the the city was made up of 27% Greeks. And, right, right. I and then a meant. bunch of different Slabs. And, uh, you know, the the Turks were like the minority majority. kind of
2: thing. Mm. The um, ruling minority.
1: Yeah, exactly. But for, anyways, getting back to the point, uh, the, the there will be no liberal uprising. Like we're kind of seeing in Israel and Tel Aviv mm. or in Paris because Ankara is not the natural city, urban hegemon of the area, but it is where government is uh, operated out of. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing to revolt against, you know what I mean? There's no one to revolt with and nothing to revolt against, you know? Nothing to burn. Yeah,
2: I mean, you're assuming they, you know, they protest the government or blah, 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 but, like, you don't see a a section of Turkey just seeding, just being like, yeah, we're sick of you, bye. No, they are (laughs)
1: culturally... uh, They are culturally unified mono you know i mean and not only mono but unified in a way that they have aspirations to expand they seem they see the central asian states the turkish states out there azerbaijan especially as naturally turkeys right and so they have this i don't know uh Togetherness, this focus on the enemy kind of thing. The rest of the world, the the Christo Europe, as against them, they mm-hmm. there will never be a breakdown of Turkey as a political state. Not in a, a time span that I can foresee, hundreds of years. You know what I mean,
2: yeah, yeah, unless the Kurds start getting a little frisky. The
1: <laughs> the Kurds can do whatever they want. They're on the border. They don't have enough people. They can't fight the Turks.
0: You know what I mean,
2: yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh Julian.
0: Uh hi. What's up? Hi. What's up? What
2: what uh any thoughts on that Thought, little heading? Thoughts on turkey? thoughts on turkey. Delicious gravy.
0: Um yeah, definitely best with mashed gravy. potatoes. Yeah, oh man, you know me. Um Yeah. No, I if this election doesn't uh work out for the coalition, I could see like internal unrest but no mm-hmm. real challenge to power. Yeah. Just maybe like 2 weeks in the streets.
2: What would like what would even internal unrest be? Like 2 weeks in the streets? Basically. So what does that mean?
0: Oh, just like 2 weeks of street riots and then everything's uh, calmed down. Smash police. Uh, you just
2: let people get it out, get it out of their systems. Yeah.
1: Arrests, no executions, uh, no deaths. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you know I mean. Well, maybe. A so boring. Of yeah. Ugh, I'm sick of the 21st century. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's an hour. That's an hour.
0: Oh, an hour. Yeah. oh jinx. was coming.